Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we've got the co-founder of Porta Law. Please give a warm welcome to Miss Erin Brandt. Erin, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So tell me a little bit about Porta Law. Just maybe give um, our audience some context about uh, maybe a little bit about what you do, some credentials, of course, as a lawyer. Um, but but fill us in a little bit more about uh, Porta Law and the Porta Law story. So I'm, I'm an employment lawyer in British Columbia in Canada. Uh, and so that means that we help people with their legal issues at work. So we help both employees and employers navigate difficult workplace situations, um, things like hiring and firing, um, employment contracts, um, disability accommodation, other human rights issues that, that might come up. Um, yeah, so really anything that you can think about that might, a problem that might happen with one of your people, um, I've seen it. And if I haven't seen it, then call me and tell me about it, because that would be fun. Of course, like the one question everyone wants to know is just like, what is the craziest case, unless it breaches confidentiality concerns that you could share with us in terms of what you've had to litigate on? I mean, there's, there's kind of two that come to mind. One, just in brief, one was uh, an employer client that called me and said, you know, this was like a medical office, like it was professional. Uh, and two women had gotten into a fight in the washroom and like one like smacked the other with her purse and like actually caused her colleague to bleed. Uh, and so they called me and said, like, should we fire this person? And I was like, yes, like they assaulted another coworker. And like, this wasn't like a rough and tough workplace. Like this was an op medical office. Uh, and so they fired her. And then like a week later, they called me back and they were like, actually, we want to hire her back. Is that okay? <laughs> okay, sir. Um, and the other crazy one I saw, like, again, a number of years ago was two colleagues, one needed a kidney transplant and her colleague gave her a kidney. Like they weren't friends. Like this woman gave her colleague a kidney. Um, and when they both went on medical leave, obviously after their surgeries and the one worker was supposed to be off for like the one who received the kidney was supposed to be off for three to six months. Um, and three months into her medical leave, her employer wrote her and said, you know what, you've just been off for too long. I just can't accommodate you any longer. Like she actually put this in writing and that is a clear violation of the DC Human Rights Code. Uh, and so like that was probably the strongest case I'd ever litigated where the employer admitted in writing to breaching the law and discriminating against someone who had literally just had a kidney transplant. So that was like a bit of a wild fact pattern as well. And, and, you know, entrepreneurs are definitely not lawyers. Uh, some despise lawyers, right? It, uh, you know, it's just kind of like a common thing they, they have to balance. But if a good entrepreneur wants to get better, they have to build good relationships with lawyers. They have to learn the legal terms, what they can and cannot do. Um, what are maybe some common mistakes? You know, this is a business audience that listens to this, Aaron. 
what are some common mistakes that, you know, let's say startup entrepreneurs oftentimes overlook or don't spend time on that could really come back to bite them? If we're talking about startup entrepreneurs, I think there's a lot of value in making sure that you have a good employment contract right from the beginning. You know, it's, it's, it should be considered as like, you know, when you're doing your incorporation documents and you're doing your partnership agreements or whatever else, you know, you're doing your first round of financing. I think it's really important as you're hiring those first workers to make sure that you're setting up your employment relationship strong right from the beginning. Because if, you know, a couple of years down the road, or a couple of months down the road, you start to have problems with those relationships, going back to that original employment agreement and ensuring that you set up your relationship properly in the first place. When, when employer clients come to me and they say, you know, we've got this problem that we need to deal with, my first question is, let me see the employment contract. And if I see the employment contract and I'm happy with, with what's written in it, it makes it a lot easier and a lot more cost effective to move through that problem. Where I look at what was originally set up and it's a complete mess, you know, then we have two conversations. Then we have the conversation of, okay, well, let's fix this from a systemic perspective. Um, but also, it's going to be a little bit more complicated to deal with the problem that's in front of you. Yeah. And, and um, I guess where I'm thinking about, I guess where my mind's taking me is just like um, when and like when not to use a lawyer. And so like for for us, you know, uh, you know, starting out, I'd say like years ago, it's like we were that company, like we were that company where like, you know, hey, it was just a, a word built on trust and and then like things start to kind of come in the way where you're like, okay, we really need to sit down with the lawyer, really get this contract right. Um, but like, what are other reasons like business owners go to you for help? Like take me into maybe some of the most common concerns or outreaches you receive um, to help people understand when they can go to someone like you. I mean, the most common thing that I deal with is employers coming like beyond drafting employment contracts, like is the other side of that, which is, you know, we need to fire this worker for whatever reason. And what are our legal, there's two, there are really two questions. The clients that I love working with ask two questions, which is, you know, what are our legal obligations here? And what's the right thing to do here, right? Because there's two, there's two ways of looking at it. One is what are the legal responsibilities and what's it's going to cost my business? But also there's value in treating employees with compassion and respect and going above and beyond what the minimum legal requirements are. Just be, for two reasons. One, because it's, I think it's important to run your business and be a good human. Um, but two, because, you know, the end of the, like that employee is going to share in their community what their experience was in losing their job. Right. And so that's going to, that could come back from an HR perspective that could come back and reflect on your future hiring abilities, right? That if that employee goes on Glassdoor and writes terrible things about you, that that's going to have an impact on the kind of talent that you can recruit in the future. So like you want your employees leaving your organization, I think, and saying, you know, it didn't work out. You know, I felt like I was treated fairly all along. Interesting. And and just out of curiosity, like why did you get into employment law instead of maybe, I don't know, corporate law or like other different aspects of business? I really, I mean, I went to law school because my parents told me I didn't have a choice. Um, <laughs> right. And so it was just, it was the thing to do. Uh, and then it turned out that I loved it. And, you know, when I was looking for my first job after law school, I was really drawn to areas of law that are more people focused. Like I wasn't interested in being in a back office crunching numbers or, you know, working for like the soulless corporation. And I think over the years of my practice, I found that I, I actually really do, do love working with companies. Like when I first started practicing law, it was, you know, fighting for the little guy. 
um, you know, the wronged individual. And now I, I love working with my employer clients. I love working with the clients that are trying to create change in the world, that are trying to do something to move us forward as a society in some way, alongside, you know, wanting to create workplaces where people want to be. Um, and so I, I really connect with those kind of employer clients. And, and it goes back to that question of, you know, not just what is our legal obligation, but what is the right thing to do here? And I love having that skill set and knowledge to be able to guide my clients towards what is legally and morally, you know, the right path. Because a lot of my clients come to me and they, like, they don't know, like they're coming to me because they want that professional guidance, right? Like their expertise, maybe architecture or engineering or product development or, you know, something else. And their expertise is not law or employment law specifically. Um, and so I like that I'm able to help them with that part of their business. It, it's interesting, you know, like the, the businesses that are in our community are really impact oriented. Like these are sustainable companies. These are companies that are certified B Corps who follow, follow you know, I guess a, a higher ethical code, but it also attracts, I'd say like very values aligned employees and very uh, HR sensitive employees uh, who are, or employees who are, you know, um, you know, uh, I guess maybe put some fear or are really challenging when it comes to, you know, what they should receive and what they shouldn't. Have you seen in like an uptick in um, HR sensitivity or litigations more so, I guess, coming from employees now more than ever with this kind of, you know, Me Too movement with the, you know, uh, with the transparency of leadership now in this world? Have you seen an increase in, in litigations? I mean, there's kind of two things. One, our court system is still kind of recovering from COVID in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, there's still like, some of the courts have caught up, but some of our tribunals are still dealing with delays. And so that's, that's affecting like our ability to actually tackle some of these legal issues. But a lot of my practice with my employer clients is, is litigation avoidance. Um, you know, I'm in Canada, we're a little bit less litigation uh, happy than I think in the United States. Um, and like litigation is not fun for anyone. Um, it's what I do, uh, but it's stressful, it's expensive. And, you know, oftentimes, especially with these values-based businesses, you know, where an employee has gone through something and they've legitimately gone through something, there's often a recognition that, okay, well, maybe it wasn't the company that did the wrong thing. Maybe it isn't the company that owes the money, but there's also recognition of it's going to cost everyone a ton of money to bring something to court, a ton of time, right? And if you're a values-based business, like you're trying to build something, like you're trying to accomplish something and to be held, be kept backwards by, you know, this threat from an employee, like oftentimes it's a lot more cost-effective in terms of saving on legal fees to, to try and resolve something out of court. Um, or just from like a business management perspective, like, settling this dispute allows you to focus on the thing that you're building. And, and just for like the business owner listening to this, let's just say they're you know, around 11 to 50 employees. What are maybe some key documents they need to have in place um, that they may not even be aware of? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I see from in values-based businesses is like, especially in the B Corp world, like we're setting our, my firm is actually a B Corp and we're setting our standards here, right? Like we're telling the world, like, we're not just like the purpose of a corporation is to maximize shareholder profit, right? To the expense of all else. Um, and that's not B Corp. B Corp is together with maximizing shareholder profit. You know, we're also trying to, you know, leave a good, leave a good mark in the world, right? We're trying to use business as a force for good, whether that's improving environmental practices or improving employee practices. 
um, improving, you know, our response to social responsibility. And so the employees, like when you sell that as a business, when you sell that to your workers as part of your, one, it, it should be sold as part of your recruitment strategy, right? We pay our workers fairly. Like you want to come work for us. We offer, you know, generous leave policies around, you know, mental health or parental benefits. Like people are going to be drawn to that. And, uh, and then you have to be held accountable to it, right? So when you change the standard from here to here, and then you fall somewhere here, that's where I'm, that's where I'm seeing struggles with some of my values-based businesses is that they've set the standard so high and they're actually doing significantly better than, you know, the average corporation that's trying to maximize shareholder profit, um, but they might be falling short of their target. And so, you know, those employees, like when you talk about what are employees asking for, those employees are trying to hold their employers accountable and say, you promised us more. You promised us you would do better and I'm not seeing that. Um, and so some of the ways that we try to support that are in policy development. Right, that if you want to say like I'm going to strive to do better, well, what is that better? Define it, put it down on paper, and send it around to your employees. And when your employees say, "Hey, you're not doing better, you're not, you know, meeting the expectations of this policy," like be open to hearing that feedback and and improving. Either either it's because the policy doesn't reflect what it is that you want to achieve anymore. Change the policy, you know, rewrite it, send it out, um, and set a clear expectation of what you expect from your employees and what your employees should expect from you. It's it's really helpful advice, especially for for anyone who's I'm sure is listening to it and going just like yeah, like that's exactly what I'm going through right now, and it's exactly what has happened to me in the past. Um, a common thing that I'm hearing right now from some of our members is this concept of like employee ownership. Um, I don't know if that's a space that you have experience in, but like, have you worked with any organizations that um, have employee profit sharing? Uh, and is that like a, a kind of a delicate issue when it comes to an employee exiting with RSUs or something? Yeah, like that? yeah, those are absolutely considerations on exit. But like that needs okay. to be uh, that that kind of work I usually refer out to a corporate lawyer. Um, okay. We do spend a lot of time talking about like how to motivate employees and different different behaviors that we want to reward. And again, this is kind of overlap between you know what HR professionals do, what employment lawyers do, and what corporate lawyers do. And oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll work together in, you know, putting our heads together um, and pooling our expertise on an issue like this. Uh, but like, are you trying to design, you know, a bonus plan? Um, are you trying to, you know, keep your employees in with those golden handcuffs? Are you trying to, um, you know, um, have your employees buy in that this is theirs and they own part of it? Um, you know, and what does that look like on termination? Um, that's the key thing that we look at as employment lawyers. Like usually it's the HR professionals that are kind of turning their minds to this. It's the corporate lawyers that are writing, you know, the stock option plans or the RSU plans. And it's the employment lawyers that are thinking about, okay, well, when you, when you exit your employees, what, how do you deal with the RSUs? Like what are the technical provisions that you need to include in those plans? Um, this stuff is really technical and this should not be handled by business owners. Like this should absolutely be outsourced to appropriate legal counsel. Interesting. And another trend that's been emerging as of late is chat GPT, right? Using AI um, as, a, as a short-term solution for legal counsel and even document creation. How is that impacting your business? We're talking about it a lot. Like I'm at a tech forward firm, like I'm a millennial, I'm a digital native, and like I'm very comfortable more so than the average lawyer in that world. Like, look, I'm not a chat GPT specialist, but I've played with it. And I will tell you that I've tried to get chat GPT to write case law summaries for me. And it just makes things up. Like it's just, it gets the law wrong. Like every time um, it's not even close. 
Um, I've seen some clients like try and write, like if they receive a demand letter from an employee, I've seen some, we've had one or two clients that have tried to write a response themselves using chat GPT. Um, and it's a good starting place. Like, I think it's probably around like 50 to 70% accurate. Um, and one of the things that I think a lot about as a lawyer is, you know, how can we leverage technology and how can we bring in the resources to help make the work that we do more efficient and more affordable for clients and more accessible for clients? Um, and where, what is the added value that I have as a lawyer? Like my added, like I heard the story once about, uh, it was like on a tech pod, a legal tech podcast about uh, a senior partner in a law firm that was asked to, you know, go through like a very lengthy spreadsheet and pull out like a key a key term every time it repeated itself. And this senior partner thought that this task was so important that he decided to do it himself. And he printed the Excel spreadsheet and sat there with a highlighter looking for every instance of that key term. And you're probably pulling your hair out going like, oh my God, why did he do that, right? And if he had just like engaged his first year associate or articling student, he could have done like a control F function, right? And actually just <laughs> in 30 seconds completed that task and saved the client thousands of billables. Um, and so I think about that in terms of like what that means for chat GPT and how can we start using chat GPT to help our clients get to their goal. Um, and the one caution I'll say is that it's not, technology is just not there yet. Like I'm really excited to see what the legal tech community does in terms of creating legal tech to help support the work that we do um, so that I, as a tech savvy lawyer, can then buy that tech legal tech product uh, and implement it in my business um, to help clients. So I don't think we're there yet. I think that the foundation is there for ChatGPT. I think that ChatGPT can help get you started. It can help, but you have to you have to figure out what the right questions are. Like you have to know what questions to ask and what issues to look for for ChatGPT to be useful. And I think that that's the added value that we as lawyers should be focusing on is helping guide our clients in the right direction and using these resources. You know, if you want ChatGPT to write a response letter for you, send it to your legal counsel for a quick review. There may be like one or two quick edits that we can provide that give you that extra value and that extra security uh, and that extra cost savings, um, you know, without necessarily like, you know, us writing something from scratch for you. So I think that ChatGPT does have a use. I think that um, as we, like legal professionals, we can't be scared of ChatGPT. Like I think a lot of legal professionals are scared that ChatGPT is going to replace us, you know, that robots are going to run the world. Uh, and I think that technology has a has a valuable place, um, and we need to understand its capabilities and its limitations. Um, I, I think it's very well said, and and uh, also something to think about for the business owner who it might be using ChatGPT more than they should be doing, just to have someone review it, right? Someone to take an extra set of eyes and make sure that you know it doesn't doesn't cost them later. Um, a question for you, Aaron, is, you know, just because you are focused on like employee uh, litigation, like I'm fascinated right now between like this push and pull between like the owners and the employees, like you see it more visually with the NBA, the NFL, like in, in major organizations like that, NIL and college athletes, how is this changing? Like, what's your outlook for 2024 on on employee rights and uh, making sure that you know owners pay their fair share? You know, if you if you kind of bind it, like, where do you think this is going? Good question. I mean, the last couple of years, I think the landscape is a little different in Canada and the U.S. as well. Yeah. Um, we've seen such dramatic changes in workplaces over the last couple of years. 
like what we saw at the beginning of COVID was like this immediate crisis, at least in Canada, this immediate crisis of what does, you know, everyone's working from home. How do we digitize? How do we modernize? And there were kind of two camps, one, which was like, you know, embracing technology and, and thriving. And the other was, I can't wait to go back to the old way of doing business. Um, and we heard that a lot um, at that time, you know, and then, and then we all kind of settled into remote work, right? That like a huge part of my practice was writing remote work policies, improving those policies, thinking about what does it mean to have safe workplaces when we're not mm -hmm. physically together? Um, you know, what does it mean? Like what, what technology requirements are required to make this work? How does security and data privacy work? Um, we spent a lot of time thinking about that. You know, then I think 20, the theme of 2023 was um, a lot of mental health struggles. Like the biggest question that I had from employers was, you know, I, I've got this employee that's underperforming. I also separately think that they've got some kind of mental disability going on, stress, anxiety, depression, something like that. You know, there seems to be a connection or at least an overlap between the mental health issues and the underperformance. And how do I as an employer deal with this? Because I need my employees that like I want, like I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to the fact that they're not, they're not healthy, but I also need people at work that are able to meet the expectations of the role. Um, and so we saw a lot of that tension over the past year and also a lot of tension with returning to in-person work, right? Like two years ago, like you heard all the big tech companies announcing, okay, well, we're just going to permanently move to remote work for huge portions of our workforce. We're going to get rid of huge amounts of office space. You know, and I think in 2023, we saw a lot of employers backtracking on that and saying, you know what, no, at a minimum, we need hybrid or we need people to come back to work. And a lot of tension between employees and employers and what that means to come back to the office now that everyone's moved out to the farm and, you know, is making bread. Um, and so that was a huge part of 2023. So you're asking me, where are we going in 2024? Um, that's a really good question. Um, and I don't know how to answer it. I think we've just seen so much dramatic change to workplaces over the last three years that, I don't know, I mean, maybe 2024 is the year of ChatGPT. Like maybe ChatGPT is the thing that completely changes, you know, how workplaces operate and, you know, what, what roles, who is, who is important to the business, who can adopt new technologies, who can change with the time. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure where we're going in 2024, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Well, I think, you know, what we're trying to find out on this show is, is really just like, how can this be applied to, to leaders and leadership? So to, to in conclusion, uh, Aaron, like in all of this, um, what, what should leaders, what would be your experience or your advice to, to leaders who are looking to adapt to create a better work environment? That's a, that's like an opening question. <laughs> um, I think listen to your workers. I think figure out, you know, like sit down think for a minute, like slow down on like, if you're, you know, an engineer creating a piece of technology, like that's your area of expertise, but sit down and think about, you know, what is the workplace that I want to create? You know, what are the standards that I want to be held to? Um, you know, um, engage with your employees about what kind of a workplace they want. I mean, we see this huge general, this generational divide between, you know, the gen, the baby boomers, what they want, they're exiting millennials, what our expectations are, and Gen Zers that are coming in, that are in the labor market, you know, they have a completely different expectation of what they want from their workplaces, right? And I think we're seeing a lot more demand for work-life balance, a lot more demand for meaning in the work that we're doing, a lot more, like, I think Gen Z is not a generation that is, like, money-driven, like, paying them more is not going to necessarily get, have a more, create a more engaged 
workforce. And so I think digging deep about like, who are the people that you're employing and what is the thing that motivates them, you know, and reshaping our vision of what it means to reward our workers and create strong workplaces and attract strong talent. Aaron, this has been such a fun conversation, an unexpectedly fun conversation. Uh, you know, I saw a lawyer on there. I just wasn't sure. So I know, you were like, oh, law, that's so I boring. Like, like, I do people law. <laughs> like people are fascinating and people have, you know, really unique challenges, now particularly you, as a leader. You have made it uh, super fun on this program today. So thank you so much for coming on uh, the Real Leaders podcast. Uh, for Aaron Brandt, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, reshape your motives like that one, and always keep it real. Thanks, Aaron. Hey, Real Leaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realers.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.